Back to the Rand in podcast with Rafi and Chandra, the podcast where we explore how the random affects the everyday. Hooray! So, Chandra, I believe this episode you wanted to talk about learning how to learn or learning tricks and rewarding gifts, as I've called it. Yeah, well, it's something I get asked about quite often. Is uh, you seem to sort of you know learn a variety of different things. But how do you do that most efficiently? And it's something that I did spend a little bit of time on in terms of working out how do you learn the best? So we thought it'd be a good time to share some tips and tricks that I guess both of us have learned uh, along the way. Yeah, fair enough. So I think for context, this was, I mean, for me, I did this not quite as robustly as you, but during my specialist exams. I probably should have done this in med school, but I never really did. but the specialist level stuff has a lot of nitty gritty details as well as just sheer volume as well. So it's trying to have depth as well as breadth. And it's very hard to do in a fixed amount of time without just forgetting what you've learned a few months ago. So I think I think I'm I sure that too because it's it or uh, vice versa. Yeah, it was around exam time where you're like, oh, okay, really need to get good at learning. Uh, and then that became a translatable skill. Also, it would have been great to have that back in med school, but oh well. Uh, for me, it was also during specialist <laughs> exam stuff. Mm, how do I do a startup while doing my exams? So least amount of time, please. Yeah. All right. Uh, I believe we both kind of ended up somehow, well, actually, just for context from the anesthetic exam stuff, the actual prescribed way of doing this is to go through previous year's exams and basically come up with model answers and then do them as a group and start off with little dot points and keep doing them right so it's not quite spaced repetition but it's kind of even the default thing that they recommend doing is like that because you'll have your very first couple of times you do it where it's more about getting stuff on paper figuring out what 15 20 minutes feels like to write out an saq and it's then doing it over and over again for the next few months that gets you the space repetition effect. But since we ultimately, I think we both settled on that, do you want to talk about space repetition? Because you did a lot more on like the actual nitty gritty research on it. Yeah, so this is something that I dived into uh, when I was you know, going down a random rabbit hole of reading and it was quite interesting. So. There was a guy back in the 70s who sort of really got into it and started doing a lot of research. And he initially made a program called Super Memo to try and help him and other people memorize stuff. Um, And doing that, he was actually very scientific about the Mm. process and published a whole bunch of stuff as well. Um, And that's one of the really good sort of resources. Unfortunately, that website's now been updated. But if you look for the old version of the Super Memo website, which we'll add to the links, it's got some great stuff in there to have a read. But one of the core things is that when you learn something or you hear about something for the first time, there's a natural sort of forgetting curve where you remember it, but then it slowly, that knowledge decays away, Um, which I think all of us can sort of, you know, uh, I guess, uh, have experienced. Um, I have terrible memory, so I hear something and by the the next afternoon, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, names of some people, I can't remember what I had for breakfast, you know. So one of the things they found is that that rate of decay 
uh, if you uh, sort of boost that memory by, again, recalling that memory, then you'll tend to lose that memory a little bit slower the next time. And if you wait for a little while and right before you forget it, remind yourself about it again, then that rate of decay slows again. So the whole concept is basically if you have a chunk of knowledge that you want to try to remember for as long as possible with the least amount of effort, basically remind yourself at inverted commas just the right time so that uh, you'll remember it just for a little bit longer next time and longer and longer. Um, and that's the basic sort of principle of it. In terms of that, they then did a whole bunch of studies and stuff on people to try and different memorization techniques. And what they found consistently was that was one of the best ways of doing it with the least amount of time invested by the research people. So that was the part that I was interested in because I'm also quite lazy. So I wanted to see how can I do this uh, in the least, in the most time efficient way. Um, now, just for a little <laughs> intersection here, Chandra was also doing, I think we mentioned this in one of the previous podcasts, there was a book called Storyworthy, where it suggests us putting little notes down from your average day to make up like interesting tales about what happened. And it also helps you kind of appreciate your days. So for a couple of episodes, I could ask Chandra a question and he would have an answer. Then he stopped doing it. And right now I, I literally asked him <laughs> something and he's like, I'll have to get back to you in like two to four days because I need to think <laughs> about it. And it was just like, Something like, well, hey, what have you been up to? So, a little question. Yeah. Like, the only way I could remember, I haven't so, made any I mean, needs space it, repetition. The only way I could remember day to day activities. Huh, I better look through my YouTube history. What random crap have I been watching lately? <laughs> <laughs> what, what useless garbage have um, I learned that I decided so, I don't need to remember? <laughs> uh, now, in terms of the actual technique, uh, part of it's also it's the spacing of it. But I think the other part of it is like the active recall part. Like any tips on that? Yeah. So in terms of the whole process, there's a few things that go into it. But one is the fact that uh, quite a few studies that not just from space repetition have showed that one of the best ways to try to remember things is active recall, um, which is rather than just, for example, What does that mean? Reading, exactly. Well, rather than just, for example, rereading your notes or if you, uh, you know, read something, um, rather than just sort of reading it a few times, if there's a way for you to force yourself to think about, oh, what was the answer to this question, for example? Um, and that's why often for exam prep and things like that, you go, okay, well, here's a prep question. Um, try writing an answer to it. Works really well because it forces your brain to then sort of, you kind of rack through your brain a little bit trying to work it out, trying to think, oh, what was that? And so what they found is by that active process of you kind of rummaging around, if you like, in your head is what I imagine, that reinforces that knowledge even better. Um, and that's one of the things, so active recall. Another part of it is what you call chunking of the knowledge. Um, it sort of stems from the fact that okay. the brain is pretty simple. You can't remember 15 different things at once, but you can re usually remember groups of things. So, you know, maybe five things. So if you have, for example, a list of 15 things to remember, then the aim is to try and break it down into, okay, can you break it down into five different groups of three things or 
three, you know, multiple small groups. So the idea then is that... Is, is five the actual research-based number? I, I, five to eight. Like, is there an optimal number of groups? I think to up, to, okay. up to eight tends to be the most number of, I guess, concurrent slots in people's brain that can be going at once. Seems to be... Okay, I, I think I've got, like, three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the kind of thing of what you call a working memory, if you like. And there's certain... If you're curious, if you Google N-back test, N-back... We'll put some links in. That's a, another type of uh, memory that you can test yourself on. Um, but the idea there is the brain is actually very good at patterns. And if you have a list of things to remember, if you can group them in a way that your brain can see patterns in it, then your brain is much more likely to remember it. There's also some cool techniques with using sort of visual stimuli. You might have heard of various things like uh, picture memory kind of things where rather than trying to li remember a list you turn you can turn a list of things into like a very vivid picture so if you're trying to remember i don't know say a ball ball cat and dog or something like that oh, rather than just, just like one of those donald trump, yeah, this is trump thing. rather than trying to remember that try to paint man a crazy camera woman <laughs> dog exactly but rather than trying to remember the words try to Born remember star. some crazy scene so for example porn star chasing down a cat and <laughs> <laughs> because the cat is running after the dog that has the ball. <laughs> now, that's much easier to remember rather than those four words. Uh, and again, bing, that's bing, getting bing, off. Bing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's another no more top references. <laughs> going back to the whole space repetition thing, the idea there is you can then start chunking the knowledge. So uh, for the medical listeners, for example, um, if you're trying to remember, say, some anatomy of, I don't know, let's say the uh, one of the fingers, well, you might break it down into what are the muscles, what are the nerves, what are the arteries. So every time you think of, oh, okay, what's the anatomy of something, you always think, what's the nerves, what's the arteries, what's the muscles? So that's one thing that you remember. Then you remember... Oh, yeah, like you common make a new... groupings... Exactly. And you try to memorize the groupings themselves as well. Then you might go, okay, in the finger, what are the nerves? Um, and then you remember those. And in terms of the muscles, maybe there's a whole bunch of them. So rather than trying to remember all 10 muscles, you might go, okay, for all the fingers, I'm going to remember the muscles on one side and on the other side. And so you go, okay, so now you've grouped it again. So you've chunked. And so by breaking that down, you can remember, okay, for any finger, I need to know about the muscles, the nerves, and arteries. I need to know about the muscles at the front, the muscles at the back, so on and so forth. Um, and so yeah, you've kind of broken like it a down. A non-medical thing would be, like, I mean, I was just thinking, like, non-medically, mm. it'd be like, how do you make a standard drink? So you could group it into hot drinks, alcoholic drinks or something. And say for tea or coffee, you need hot water, tea or coffee, or whatever the substance you're dissolving plus minus milk sugar, like your additionals, right? So that, that would be your topic heading, whereas cocktails would still be main substance, which is your mixer, alcohol, I suppose, and flavoring agent. And then that's your broad groupings. And then that, those are your headings. And you can kind of group it together as to what you make out of everything. Obviously, you don't need to remember how to make tea or coffee because you do it so frequently. 
but see, space repetition, it works well. <laughs> kind of training to be a bartender needed to know all the different ingredients on different cocktails. That'd be the way to remember it. Yeah, or so you'd it anyway. probably be again if we have any bartenders, let us know. But maybe one way would be to remember all the vodka-based drinks, remember all the whiskey-based drinks, so on and so forth, or whatever different flavors you're. Yeah, all right. Well, I'm gonna say. Since we're going to try and do Spotify poll things so on the Spotify app, there's like going to be questions. So, yeah, favorite cocktail or mocktail for me. Uh, yeah, l- l- like write, write it to us and let us know. Um, cool. And I believe one of the other things with that is thing called yeah. Anki. Yeah, so Anki yeah. is something that initially a lot of uh, language learners used. And uh, I think some of the earliest what is it? was before. It's a program which helps you with basically the, the standard way of doing spatial repetition is to have flashcards. You write stuff down. Um, so the simplest way, if you before even we talk about Anki, the simplest way of doing space repetition, if you like, is just writing down a question on one side and an answer on the other side. Um, and you try to make them very and specific. That's a flashcard, is it? Yeah, just like flashcards. Um, and then what you do is you review your flashcard, and if you get it right, um, then what you do is you maybe review it in a few days. If you get it right again, then maybe you'll put that card off for a couple of weeks before you see it next time. And so the program just helps automate that rather than you you know, having to have some sort of crazy filing system which keeps track of which cards you need to review when. The program kind of does that for you. The idea being the memories that you retain easily, you see less often, and the flashcards that you get wrong more often, you review them more often. Um, So that way you're very efficient with your time. You're spending... So the stuff that... Yeah, the idea is to spend your time reviewing the stuff that... Yeah, the stuff that you keep getting wrong, you see it more often to try and get that into your memory and make it stick. Whereas the stuff you're getting right, you're just sort of tickling the memory the least amount of time possible so that you remember it still later down the track as well. So it becomes a very efficient technique when you're trying to uh, keep a whole bunch of information in your head at once. Um, and fair it, enough, fair enough. Yeah, it's very useful, for example, if you're learning a new language. Uh, and one of the, I think one of the uses that I saw uh, first early sort of uses were people who used to learn multiple languages at once and uh, some of the things just to quickly get your vocabulary up. Um, that became a good technique some people used. Um, without going on okay. too much about those cards, I think one of the couple of big traps that I see is um, not making your own cards or using other people's cards because a lot of times, for example... Uh, didn't you use someone else's card? No, so I made all of my own ones. Um, I've Never oh, did you use the notes? That's right. Yeah, so that's a different thing in terms of, you know, where do you get your knowledge from? I, I've never opened yeah, a yeah, textbook, okay. but that's a different thing. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the cards, you should always make your own because the whole uh, point is that you can chunk it in your head, in your brain, the way that you think. Um, and that's much, much more useful. Oh, yeah, fair enough. So it's kind of like you have to find your own category, like your own set of drawers for it to make sense to you. Yeah. It's like you can go into anyone's kitchen. They're all the same stuff is there, but it's organized differently. So you've got to find the one that fits your brain. Exactly. You can use other people's one just to do a bit of a quick test. Like, oh, see, you know, am I missing out on complete areas which other people seem to know about? That's great. Or if it's just like a, you know, a little 
exam tests where you're just doing it just as a test yourself, that's cool. But trying to use it as other people's one for long term is not so helpful um, because it really depends on how you chunk the knowledge and how your brain thinks about those things. And it's for me, making those cards is essentially doing the study. It's not so much just about rote memorization, but as you make the cards, you understand the concepts. And then these cards just help you retain that knowledge that you've learnt. Hmm. Well, I suppose making the cards as you doing that, you know, reading textbook sort of a thing and then kind of categorizing it in your head and reviewing them is just sticking it in, like, you know, driving that nail in deeper into your brain to make it stick. Yeah, exactly. Keep it from running away from your brain. Um, but Anki is one of the programs. There's a whole <laughs> bunch of them, but the main thing is uh, using a, some sort of computer program is quite helpful, like an app or whatever, um, because uh, it lets you keep track of which cards are due when, and it will basically just show you the cards that are due. And so that makes your life much, much easier than using well, physical think, paper flashcards. I think the other reason you got obsessed with it is because it just generates data, like number of cards done on a day. So I remember <laughs> you used to just go during exams, like, look, this is the number of things. I'm like, okay, God, like it's gone even nerdier. Like the entire thing was nerdy, but it's like next level. If you want data metrics on how many cards you've done and graphs for that, yeah, Anki will yeah. do all that. Um, there's so another one called for the nerds listening. That's iOS. You get me. some awesome graphs and statistics. It's amazing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and Anki is A N K I. I'll put a link in. Yeah, uh, and it's also web, so you can actually. Uh, so uh, the other thing about Anki is, like, I know for the anesthetic exams, uh, there are publicly available deck of cards for the MCQs and things like that. So you can actually go through other people's just to see, because. It's a good way to sort of also just interesting test yourself. that I found for the Well, also it's different sources of knowledge. So people because you don't get given the absolute answers. So some people will do these uh mock MCQs, if you like, with an answer and the rationale as to why they chose that one over one of the other options. Mm. So it's an actual it was useful just to see did you read the right information and interpret it the right way? Because there's a couple of drug questions that are you could spin one way or the other and until you do the exam and the exam actual answers aren't given out. So you kind of get, you take your best shot at it. So it was useful to go through the public decks just to see. Um, yeah. In terms of, so that's, I mean, we basically did very similar things. I just had to, because the anesthetic exam is a lot more handwriting based, you have to literally have 15 um, short answer questions that you have to write. I couldn't quite just do Anki for everything because it part of it was also writing. But one of the biggest things that I found was, even if you know the technique, getting into the habit of studying took a bit of time. So I'm not sure if you did this as well, but I use a thing called the Pomodoro technique. Yeah, I have to say for me... Um... I find that I get very distracted very easily. So if I take a break, then I stop working. So I'm kind of more the opposite. I found actually just uh, being in a good headspace with a clear day and sort of like a clear plate, if you like, and then just powering through a whole mm. day was the best way for me personally. But I know a lot of people love the Pomodoro thing, and I remember seeing you do it lots. What's your take on it? Yeah, so the Pomodoro. Uh, look, I mean, I absolutely love it. I actually have to modify it a bit. So just from the basic point, the, the Pomodoro technique was this Italian guy ages ago 
he coined it pomodoro, which is Italian for tomato uh, or tomato, based on <laughs> those little kitchen timers that look like tomatoes. So he used to set uh. it to 20 minutes and once it went, so you have 20 minutes of work and then you set it for five minutes, which is a five minute break. And then you do yep. a 20 minute session again and you do it three times. So basically you do an hour solid of work and another 15 minutes of sort of breaks in between. And then once you've done your third one, you will, you end up taking a 20 minute break. So you reward yourself with a bigger, longer break. But like you, I am very distractible. So I actually had to make it like when I started, I was literally doing 15 minutes, then 10 minutes break, 15 minutes and 10 minutes break. Right. So literally almost the same amount of work as break time just to get into it because yeah, my brain was like, Ooh, maybe I should go get over the design of this thing or go <laughs> pet a cat because that sounds more fun. And once I got into it, of course. then I'd extend the, well, one of the interesting things about the Pomodoro technique is that, you actually have to be strict because there's a couple of times like, you know, the, the age old thing is like the way to get anything done is to write the five sentence. And once you get going, you just keep going. Right. Uh. And that kind of is the motivation part of it. The interesting thing about the Pomodoro thing is if you read through any of the websites, it actually suggests that no, at 20 minutes, it spins down kind of like an exam. Right? right. And I actually found that was interesting because I did start doing it that way, my, mainly because the exam had a forced time down. So you kind of have to get a sense for the timing. So I adjusted the timings for that. But the yeah. other part of it is that if you don't stop, then you're, it's kind of training your brain to know that there's a reward coming. Ah, right. So at the 20 minute mark, I would go and have a coffee or do this or do that. So if you started taking it away and trying to push through, it becomes less effective. So uh, 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 hence, when I switched it to 15 minutes, 10 minutes off, it became more effective because I'd be like, ah, oh, okay, I got 10 minutes to go for a walk around the block or whatever it is or go play with the cats or get this other little niggly thing that was on my mind done. But those 15 and 15 minutes was also great because you can almost put up anything. Like if you really have to pee, you can usually hang on for 15 minutes, get the block done and then do whatever you have to, right? So yeah. once you know that your reward is definitely coming, you actually focus more going, okay, there's distractions, but I know I can just get through this bit. And I found that really interesting about the Pomodoro technique because it did actually switch my mind into more like, yes, this little bit, I just have to concentrate on one thing. Then I can be my usual distracted self. The so other thing I really your brain found like something interesting to look was to. that. Yeah, it's just so Pavlovian training nice to know that if you focus, coming. you get a reward. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I found was like you, I get really distracted. So occasionally I'd start something that was meant to be in my break time and miss the alert if I was using an app or something like that. So I actually mm -hmm. started then using a kitchen timer, but occasionally <laughs> like say you're actually in another room and you don't hear it, you can get distracted. So the other thing I did was I got one of those um, Wi-Fi like smart bulb sort of things. So I had it in the, so in the place I was staying at at the time, there was one big light. So I had that as a smart light and I had another one in, in the corridor in my bedroom or something. So I had two and what they would do at the time, you had to do it through this service called Ift. Um, but I think most smart bulbs do this now. Basically every 20 minutes, the lights would flash to maximum intensity in random rainbow colors. Like basically it was a randint color. So it would randomly generate a color and flash three times really brightly. So it didn't matter if it was day or night, I would see it because it would just be like, you know, you could be 
eating cereal or something and the bowl would start glowing different colors based on what was coming through. And it was always different. So you couldn't get used to the pattern, right? Ah, so basically what that meant is every 20 minutes, I would notice that 20 minutes had passed. So then it would make me feel guilty knowing that I was now procrastinating. Like I was way past my, nice. you know, like fun part of the break. I've gone past it. And now if I choose to ignore it, that's me breaking the rule rather than, oh, time just slipped away. So even if, like the study light that I have now is still synced to that uh, if uh, little pattern. So if there's basically just an online service that you can, it's, it stands for if this, then that. So mine is if 20 minutes, then send a signal for the lights to flash. So if I turn this on every 20 minutes, it'll still flash because it's still enabled for that. Uh, and that was actually really useful. Was actually so that, kind of fun for certain things like when I was crashing at your place for a while, occasionally at, I can't remember 8 PM or 10 PM or something, the house turns into like a disco for a little bit. I'm like, Oh, Hey, it is late. <laughs> so that's 10 30. 1030. Yeah. Oh, so really? Still yeah. to this day, the, yeah, the, 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 all the switches in the house in this one will flash on and off three times. That's uh, it's time to get ready for bed. And in uh, the past, what I used to have was a couple of lights would glow orange and then slowly dim to black. So it's 1030. You have 15 minutes to brush your teeth and all that, then get into bed. Then all the lights are automatically no blue light, just orange, and then slowly dim so that if you're reading a book, by the time 15 minutes is over, you're like, ah, well, I don't even have to get up to turn off the lights. It's all done. So that was the uh, little time I, I just remember that I had was, an opposite uh, one for. It was quite helpful when I was like programming and lost time, track of time. And be like, oh, yeah, I should eat yeah. some food. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Nutrition. again, there, there are many times where I left and came back and you're in the exact same position and you <laughs> look up going, oh, I think you're going to work. I'm like, yes. Remember it was light. Now it's dark. And then you'd look out going, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of these um, sometimes. Just a couple of other little learning tricks that I had, since I yeah. think you kind of can be a bit robotic in terms of going, oh, yeah, technique works. I'll just do it for like 10 hours <laughs> as the programming story <laughs> highlights. There's um, another way. Mine were more due to, <laughs> well, it was more just what do you do? Kind of like our, so... As we're recording this, the Toxic Traits episode is just going live, which is about those days where you just can't be asked doing anything. So what do you do? And I think we both embrace kind of like pulling into the funk and coming out of it after feeling gross, um, yeah. like eating fried chicken even when I'm not hungry. <laughs> but because I had hard deadlines like the exam has to be done on this day, I need X amount of knowledge and it's a well-subscribed um, uh, subscribed, like sort of radius of knowledge that I have to have. The thing was, I needed exits out of those funky days because I just couldn't yeah. have that many, right? Yeah. So one of them what worked that for you for that? actually, yeah. So so there's like a higher level one and a lower level one. The higher level one was actually having a journal, and it was kind of like you know self reflection, blah blah blah. But one of, on the back pages of it, I actually had. So I, I do it like a yearly goal thing that we do monthly reviews on. But mm. I kind of had it like things that I'd be able to do that I postponed <laughs> because of the exam. Nice. Right? So it's kind of like the why, all the things that I'd given up and all the things that you want to do. But basically it was reiterating that all the stuff that was given up at a good time when you weren't just depressed about it all, you chose to do it because this was a high priority. And it's just reminding yourself that this is a short-term pain 
that there are all these other things to look forward to. Just get through it. Don't fail so you don't have to do it again. And that was really motivating because you kind of go, yeah, all right, I'll just get up and do it this time because I don't want to have to do this again for any... And I know for the last exam, I had one exam left in me. So I literally stopped everything. I didn't cook. I ate takeaway food every night to the point where one morning I got up out of bed. So this was probably pushing it too far. I got up out of bed and as I went to sit up, my back spasmed. I've never encountered this before. I literally had to lie back and it was spasming me so bad that I had to like slide out of bed, collapse on the floor, try and stretch. (laughs) And even when I went to work, I couldn't intubate very well. It was okay because I was a trainee, so there's always someone supervising. But every time, so, you know, you had to put the intubating scope in and then you have to lift the head off the pillow so you can get the view to put the breathing tube in. Time I did that, my back would half spasm. And once I Uh went and did that, got the tube in, hooked everything up. Then I had to lie on the operating floor and tell the nurse, like, can you press this button and do that? I'm sorry, my back is spasming right now. What I'm hearing is old man story. Well, except I was like, what, now 10 years younger. So that was probably pushing it too far. But it was good in that I had, especially because the gap between our first and the second exam is not that long. It's a couple of years, but it takes, you know, it sucks for six, six months. I needed to remind myself that, yeah, everything else had to go. So I literally used to go to the gym for 10 minutes and just do back exercises, then go back and just like, it it really helped me focus. And the (laughs) other thing was I kept a list of all the things that I really, really wanted to do. And kind of like the Pomodoro thing, I promised myself that I would do it. Like, it's very easy to make a list of like, it's kind of like in personal finance, people will will say, go make a list of things you want to buy and then see if you still want it in 30 days or something like that, right? So all the sort of impulsive purchases, you you don't go. So this was the exact opposite. It's like, write down all your impulsive purchases and then (laughs) go buy it once you passed, (laughs) right? Like really hammer the the dopamine button in your brain. So, I mean, one of them, it took me years. Good motivation to pass as well. I had so many... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, our Antarctica trip, I mean, it was a bit back to front because (laughs) our trip was... It just so happened to be that we were going to go, like there was a sale on Antarctic Affairs and I would go two months before the exam and it was it thousands worked out of perfect dollars for me. Yeah, it worked out great for me because I sat one of my exams and then got on the flight the next day. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine was like two months before that. But the thing that worked as a result was I was like, well, I've already done the reward. I better study because it better be worth it because <laughs> it was thousands of dollars worth. I can't come up with a reward that big. <laughs> So yeah, that's what I can't say I advocate now. for this for our listeners as a strategy. I wouldn't recommend it, but at the same time, that was that was thousands of dollars cheaper. I can't remember why it was yeah. like that, but we just happened that's to get lucky. Sale. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so I think if you have like emotional stakes of like a list of the reasons why, and then also the standard materialistic rewards, the combination of that really really helps and for me like after the last exam it literally took me something like a year and a half to go through my list because some of them were (laughs) like i just listed everything and i was like no i'm gonna do everything because that's what i promised i'd do so now i know that if i have something really long and painful to do i can do it and i get lots of lots of rewards out of it so yeah yeah, (laughs) it's not too bad short-term pain long-term gain all that stuff it sounds like an expensive problem but hey a solution's a solution (laughs) so uh (laughs) All right, which brings us to speaking of memories. What is 
the random yeah. question for today, <laughs> which will be... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what, so, me, what is it I again? Since it was all learning <laughs> <forgotten> already. <laughs> since we're running with the learning theme. Um, um, so, yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to hear what your so, earliest kind of memory would be. Yeah, so my earliest memory ever was, I think, I can't verify it because so I grew up in Bangladesh in the tea gardens of Lipton. Right, so my dad used to work for Lipton, and we basically lived in the middle of tea gardens in the hills, bungalow, no other houses around for miles and miles and miles. So my earliest one is I was tiny, so that like tea plants, uh, they usually grow them to about waist height. So I distinctly remember running, and they're done in neat rows so that the uh, the pickers can go and pick all the tea leaves. And I was running in between. Uh, one of the rows. So there's tea, tea plants on either side. And I'm running through that and they're above me. Like I'm looking up at the sky and there's like a line. They're basically columns next to me. And at a certain point after running, I stop and I go, crap, I can't actually see my parents. And I remember that moment of panic going, <laughs> am I lost in the tea gardens? And there's these little <laughs> rows in between where you can come in and out uh, of the, sorry, there's little gaps. And I remember running through one of the gaps and there was a clearing and my parents were there and I just ran up to them. And that's the earliest memory. And I think based on when we left certain tea guns, I think I would have been two or three at the time. So that's the earliest thing I can think of. Huh, nice. What about you? Well, for me, I think, again, also in Sri Lanka, though I'm not really sure how old I was, but I just remember uh, yep. great-grandma uh, who didn't have the best sight back then uh, would basically follow me around because I had this cool little mini car that you could sit in and push yourself around in. And I distinctly remember oh, yeah, yeah. basically, I think I was like trying to see, Oh, how far away could I go? Uh, and then disappear. So okay. at some point, again, <laughs> as in disappear from everyone or disappear from your grandpa, <laughs> disappear from view from my grandma. <laughs> and, but oh, that's well, the I first thing I remember. Kind of... And since then, I've stuck huh. with, uh, but I think, you know, that's why I like cars, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what? To disappear from grandma? Jeez, what exactly. did she ever do to you? <laughs> right, grandma. <laughs> uh, but I think what's interesting is that both of those early memories, there's like a, it's either a curiosity or an emotional stake to it, which I think is the other part of the, whole memory game that doesn't get talked about as much is like you can do all the techniques but if you can link it to an emotive reason it really really sticks like everyone can remember their worst day or the best meal because they're just kind of so emotionally vivid so i suppose if you're trying to learn that's the other thing to do which brings us to the very, very, very last question of, oh, not the question, but a segment called Did You Know, where we talk about random facts. And I believe I asked you, we have to prep these uh, podcasts and give Chandra little hints for what sort of questions are coming up because he otherwise has a hard time coming up with things on the spot. So today, in my defense, is, there was no yeah. Anki cards made for it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, general trivia doesn't usually come with hanky cards. Yeah, I, I don't understand. It's very um, confusing. 
Well, okay. So we're it's Chandra's got a very few time limits at the moment. You can probably hear the Tesla in the background. Um, I thought I would keep it educational. And this is something that I discovered a little while ago, which was where what's the world's oldest university? Now, would you like to hazard a guess? I can't remember if we've talked about oh. this before. No, I mean naturally my guess would be somewhere in the UK, one of those ye oldy kind of uh universities would be my guess so so this is just uh, i'll link this on the show notes as well so interestingly the first university was the university of bologna in italy in 1088 which hmm. was the first sort of institution of its kind etc cetera, etc cetera, right but even on that list if you look right at the bottom one gets a special mention which is like nearly 100 years before that which uh, was, well, there's two, actually. There's, the earliest one is actually one called University of Al-Karawiyan in Morocco. So the reason it's a little asterisk is that both of these ones, both and that one and uh, what's the other one called? Al-Azhar University in Egypt, right? So they're both uh, 970 and 857, right? So hundreds of years before, and what was the Bologna one? Bologna one Mm. was 1088. So literally 100 to 200 years before that, these were considered the first universities. But the reason they're kind of in a little asterisk is because they start off as mosques. So most mosques have a thing called a madrasa, which they teach you how to read and write the Quran. But these ones actually had other faculties as well. So, and it was this model that basically spread to become the universities of the world because if you think about it like back in the day the learned people were the priests and the uh and those guys like the religious scholars and those were the learned people and so in in sort of sub-saharan africa and the middle east that's where the tradition of having educational institutions started i wonder who came up with that first definition of what a university is because i imagine there's lots of places that started teaching things, um, but then slowly they, I guess, became more and more like a university, as you say, because it sounds like, for example, they were first teaching how to read and write to read the Quran, but at the end of the day, that's still an educational institution teaching how to read and write. Yeah, I think when they, I think the official part is when they had multiple different faculties sort of thing. I mean, I'm just making this up because I don't really know. But that's kind of, it was purely educational versus a religious versus educational one. But yeah, I just thought it was an interesting fact because I also would have thought Europe because you go Oxford and whatnot. But I think Oxford comes like even from Italy a few hundred years later. Hang on, let's see if I can find it. Oh, no. So Oxford started, well, they say 1096 to 1167 because, again... It's uh, it had archbishops and sort of more religious context. So when do you define that it became a university? Is the uh, is a difficulty there? So, Interesting. There so it also started so off as a yeah, religious institution. Yeah. So there you go. That's where uh, 
higher education comes from, which I find amusing that, you know, as time progresses, like separation of church and state is like, well, it kind of originated from the combination of everything, right? And <laughs> not that I disagree with the separation of church and state and all that stuff, but it's interesting that that's the genesis, but it's almost seemed like they're very separate and opposing forces. Yeah. No, I guess now they're kind of separating out and who knows, they'll be back together soon. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for our mini-sode. <laughs> well, yeah, especially mm -hmm. the way the U.S. is currently going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's it for our episode on learning and learning tricks. Uh, any further things from you? I think the uh, thing about memory was interesting, and that might be its own mini-sode coming up, I reckon. I smell one coming. <laughs> All right. So this was a bit more of a educational one. We haven't really done this in a little while. So let us know by, uh, oh, I can't even remember what our email address is. Is it podcast at branded.com? That's right. Yep. Our brand new email. Okay. Okay. So email us at podcast at random.com or you can leave us a voicemail, which is at anchor. Well, I mean, random.com will take you there. And as always, like and subscribe and follow for more of these. And I actually really want to know, did you like this sort of a more educational episode or do you like our more random off-the-shelf topics that we come up with on the fly? So let us know. And until next time, bye-bye. See you, everybody.